This morning our scripture reading is from the book of John, chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is today, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked him, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others says, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear the words that Pastor Doug has for us today and for what you have for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. William uh, Willeman used to be the chaplain at Duke University. He tells a story that when you first hear it, it's kind of hard to, to wrap your minds around. He was having lunch with a friend of his, and his friend told him this extraordinary story. He said that he was having problems with his furnace, and he called in a technician, and, and the technician checked it out and gave him the thumbs up, said, you can, you can be, don't worry about it. And, and the guy, so he went on with that. But then a few weeks later, on a Saturday morning, really early, he woke up with a pounding headache. And he, he kind of stood up out of bed, and he just was so exhausted. He thought, it's been a long week, I'll just go back to sleep. So he laid back down. And then just before noon, he, he woke with a start and he looked over and saw it was noon. And he thought, why am I sleeping so long? And he had a throbbing headache. He was struggling to get out of bed. And all of a sudden he said he saw a, a young girl. And he remembers saying, what are you doing here? Who, who, who are you? And, and the girl just kind of pointed to the doorway and said something along the lines, you must get up and you must get out or you will not ever get out. And so this guy, he, he crawled out of bed, he crawled down the, down the stairs, he crawled out the front steps, and he collapsed, and when he looked up, the girl was gone. He found out later that the house was full of carbon monoxide. The woman said that he'd known his friend for many, many years, and this was a guy who was based in reality, that he was not given to flights of fancy. But the guy told Willman, I think this child in my room was some sort of angel. I think God sent her to warn me. And Willman listened to his friend and said, you, you might be careful in who you share that story with because they might think you're a little bit crazy. The guy said, all I know is a few minutes more and I would have been dead. What do we do when we hear a story that does not fit into our preconceived notions of, of how the world works, of, of what is possible and what is not? Do we, when we hear a story like that, do we dismiss it out of hand or are we open to the possibilities that that stretch our way of thinking. Do we close our eyes and minds, or do we allow them to be opened? 
Today we are continuing our sermon series we kicked off last week entitled Believe. And we're calling it Believe is because we're looking at the Gospel of John, certain passages. And John tells us very clearly that the purpose of his Gospel, he tells us this in, in chapter 20, verse 31, that the purpose of the Gospel is that by reading these accounts of what Jesus did and what he said, that, that we might believe. And that by believing in Jesus, we would then find life eternal. And so today we come across this story. It's a pretty amazing story. And it's a story that the people who first heard this, many of them did not want to believe this. It was just too fantastical, too outside of, of how they viewed what God would do and how he would do it. And, and so let's dig in and take a look at this, this story that's found in John chapter 9. Now we're going to go through the whole chapter. We didn't have... Uh, um, Judy, read the whole thing earlier, but but we the first 12 verses, but we're going to work our way through the whole chapter this morning. Uh, and so I encourage you to either follow along on the screen or follow along in your Bible. We'll read, we'll we'll make some comments and we'll, and we'll do so. We'll make our way through this the chapter that way. But a little bit of background first. In the previous chapters of John, there's this there's this growing tension that's happening between the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees and, and, and Jesus. Uh, we can see this in chapter five. We looked at it last week. Remember what Jesus does? If you're with us on the Sabbath day, he heals a man who has been paralyzed, an invalid for 38 years. And, and Jesus gets in trouble with, with the religious leaders because he does this on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do those things on the Sabbath. That's considered work. And so they, they give Jesus a hard time about that. And then Jesus claims to be God. And that leads to the point where it says the religious leaders from that point forward plotted to kill him. They wanted to kill Jesus because they saw this as blasphemy. In chapter 6, the tension continues to ratchet up. Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000 people. Remember the story of the loaves and the fish, just a couple of each? Jesus feeds 5,000 people, and there's some leftovers. And people flock to him because of the miracles he's doing. And when Jesus, right after he feeds them, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and that if you want to live forever, you must feed on me, it says that this was a hard teaching and that many of the disciples turned away because they could not accept this. In chapter 7, Jesus teaches at the temple that whoever came, comes to him would receive streams of living water and the religious leaders try to arrest him. And then in chapter 8, the tension kind of hits its boiling point. There's, there's a famous story where they, the, the religious leaders, they catch this woman in the act of committing adultery and they bring her before Jesus. And their expectation is that, well... You're supposed to stone her. And Jesus says, whoever, and Jesus flips the trap on them. He says, whoever amongst you has not sinned, you be the first to pick up the stone and to throw it. And then at the end of chapter 8, Jesus is not very subtle. He calls them children of the devil and not true children of Abraham. And then he claims to be eternal when he states, before Abraham was, I am. And they try to stone him. So that's what leads to chapter 9 here. So let's pick it up in verse 1. And again, we see conflict happening between Jesus and the, the religious leaders. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, what's the overarching theme here? Why is there such tension between Jesus 
and these religious leaders. I mean, these were the do-gooders of the day. They, they knew the, the scripture, the Torah, really well. They, they tried to, 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 to be very faithful in, in observing certain feasts and, 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 and religious rituals and so on and so forth. What was, the, what was the root cause of this conflict between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders? Well, he was challenging their, their theology. He was challenging their worldview, their understanding of who God was and how he would work and who the Messiah would be and and how you could be considered righteous or not, who was in and who was out. And we see an example of this right here in this story. In fact, Jesus' disciples, it looks like they bought into this worldview a little bit too. We see this in, in the question they ask. They see this blind guy, and they say, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? So their question reveals their worldview. When, when you talk with somebody, the questions that people ask often reveal their assumptions about the way the world works or about who God is or, or what we're supposed to do to please God and so on and so forth. And so they ask this question, who sinned that this guy's blind? Did he sin somehow or did his parents sin? And it reveals their worldview, their theology, that illness and suffering are a direct result of sin. Because this man was born blind, they think, either he did something wrong or his parents did something wrong. There's got to be somebody to blame for this. We see the same kind of theology and worldview evidenced earlier in the, back in the Old Testament in the book of Job. Remember the story? Job is a man and a, a very successful man with a big family and tragedy after tragedy keeps happening until he's left with nothing. And his friends come to him uh, to, to comfort him, I guess. And essentially they say to him, you must have done something wrong for this to happen. So whatever it is, confess it. And so religious leaders and the disciples here, they're just parroting this worldview, this theology that they've taught and what they believed and swallowed hook, line, and sinker. Now, before we look at Jesus' response and challenge to this worldview, this theology, let's acknowledge that sometimes, now notice I said sometimes, sometimes suffering can be a result of sin. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? A person can make a poor choice about what they eat or about what they drink, the things they put into the body. A person can make poor choices about the, the friends they make, the things they do or don't do. And as life teaches us, our choices usually have consequences. Sometimes they're good consequences. Sometimes they're not. But that is not the case in this situation. This man, Jesus says, is blind from birth. Simply because he lives in a fallen world. It's a, it's a tragedy. It's, it's nobody's fault. And yet Jesus encourages by saying that God will use and redeem this situation, this man's life, to bring glory to himself. Which is, should be good news for us. The, the worst of our circumstances in our lives can bring glory to God. And, and God can do something powerful in our lives. Maybe it'll be physical healing. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be the development of a deeper faith or a more powerful experience, a closer walk with God. Maybe the circumstances in our lives, God will use those things so that we can encourage and help somebody else who's going through something similar. Or, or maybe we'll serve as an inspiration to somebody else. Fanny Crosby, maybe you'll know that name. She wrote hundreds of great hymns, including Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And she was blind from her earliest days as a result of an accident. 
When she was only eight years old, she wrote this little poem. Oh, what a happy child I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. She lived to be over 90 years old, and her hymns have blessed literally millions of people. The work of God was certainly displayed in and through her life. So in verse 3, Jesus challenges this, this theology, this worldview of the day that, that, that suffering or pain or, or disease or sickness, it was a result of sin that had to be. Jesus challenges this, and then in verse 6, he heals this blind man. It says, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. So this should be, this should be a moment of celebration for the community, but instead it turns into a, a disagreement, an argument breaks out. We see that neighbors are divided in this community about who this guy is. Some say, this is the guy that we've known who's been blind since birth. Uh, so they're like, wow, something's happened. They acknowledge that something wonderful, miraculous has happened. Others say, no, it can't be him. It looks like him, but it's not him. They're denying the possibility that this could happen. And the guy is walking around basically in their midst saying, hey, it's me. I am the man. And they ask him, how then were your eyes opened? And he tells them what Jesus did and and they still can't accept it, so they decide, let's take him to the religious experts. So they take him to the Pharisees, verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. They're not denying that, that this man has been healed, but they're saying it can't be from God because he was healed on the Sabbath. Okay. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous things? So they were divided. Now, when God intervenes, when he acts in powerful ways, division often occurs between those who believe and those who don't or cannot. And it's also interesting to note that some of these Pharisees, they, they hold so tightly to their, their wrong theology, their wrong worldview, that there's, there's no room for Jesus to have done something like this on the Sabbath. It's, it's not allowed. There's a time and a place. There's a formula. There's a, there's a grid that you have to work everything in. There's a, you do things the right way at the right time. And their timetable, their worldview, does not allow for this. There's, there's a parallel I read about recently about a bus company in England, which would go through the countryside. And this bus company was getting um, complaints from some of the would-be riders. They were complaining that the bus drivers were driving past bus stops where as many as 30 people were waiting for a ride. And sometimes the drivers would even smile and wave as they roared by. And the bus company defended its drivers by pointing out that it is impossible for drivers to keep their timetables if they have to stop for passengers. <laughs> kind of missing the point, right? The Pharisees are using similar logic. They have this timetable, this, 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 this grid, this, this worldview, this theology of how God is supposed to work and when he's supposed to do it, but they're missing the point. And because they missed the point, they missed out on what God has for them. They cannot accept the evidence. It's right there in front of their eyes. And so they bring in the blind man's parents to confirm that he's actually their son and had been born blind. Verse 19. Is this your son, they asked? 
Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? And the parents respond, we know he's our son and we know he's born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And we're told that they pass, pass the pressure back to their son because they're afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue, which would be practically the worst thing that could happen to a devout Jew. And so the pressure comes back to this healed man. And this is what, and, and, and this is what they say to him. Give glory to God. We know this man. They're talking about Jesus. We know this Jesus. He is a sinner. You know, it's ironic and sad that they scold this man, telling him to give glory to God, and he already is. But they've made up their mind about Jesus. They prejudged him as a sinner. The Messiah would certainly not do this, not on a Sabbath. He wouldn't work this way. He wouldn't do this. And they will not let the evidence change their minds. Their theology, their worldview stands in the way of spiritual sight, of seeing Jesus for who he really is, the Son of God. Now contrast to the response of the the man who was healed in verse 25. Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He says, before I was blind, after I met Jesus, I can see. Now, this guy isn't even sure who Jesus is. Remember, he has not laid eyes upon Jesus. When Jesus sent him away to wash his eyes, he was still blind. He's heard Jesus' voice, but he's not seen him. He doesn't really know much at all about Jesus. And yet, he testifies to what Jesus has done in his life. And not only has physical healing happened, spiritual healing is beginning to take root. He's beginning to see spiritually, too. And so he begins to defend Jesus against his interrogators. Verse 26. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then he gets kind of sassy. Do you want to become his disciples too? And then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. You know, when we stand up for Jesus Christ, like this guy did, when we stand up for Christ, inevitably there's going to be some misunderstanding. There's going to be some opposition, some pushback, some skepticism. When we give witness to what God has done in our lives, whether it's physical healing or freedom from a a besetting habit or sin, whether it's personal blessing or the, the experience of salvation, when we give witness to what God has done in our lives, sooner or later, there's going to be pushback from someone and somewhere. And in this passage, this man certainly finds that. But he doesn't back down. Verse 30. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Sounds pretty logical. To this, the Pharisees replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. They're holding on to that worldview that he must have done something wrong to be born blind. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now, this is, a, this is an incredible example of 
of, of, of how to witness, of how to share our faith. Remember, the guy doesn't know much about Jesus at all. And we often think that we have to have all our theological ducks in a row. We have to understand all the answers to all the questions. And we are to be prepared. We are to study, to be prepared, for, to, to dialogue with people and to share the reasons that we believe. But we don't have to have everything figured out. This man wasn't even sure totally who Jesus was, but he stood up for Jesus. And he spoke powerfully about what Jesus had done in his life. I was blind, but now I see. This is my life before Jesus. This is my life after. And when he did so, his, his, his spiritual sight becomes clearer. He begins to see who Jesus truly is. We see this in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And in verse 39, Jesus states the purpose of this whole episode. All of chapter 9 where he says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. It's kind of the bookend for the chapter. He begins it by, in verse 5, saying, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is saying, I come into the world to bring a light and to illuminate, to expose the condition of, of, of hearts. To, to show you your need for me and for salvation. To show you the truth about myself, that I am the Son of God. And the story of the blind man healed is sort of a case study, an example of the light that Jesus brought to bear into this world. But as human beings, we don't always like light, do we? Because light exposes. Light makes us uncomfortable sometimes. Light can be disorienting. Like, like in the morning. Sunday mornings are very early for me. Um, and so I've learned over the years to, to kind of organize ahead of time. I'll put my clothes and everything, my shoes and everything else in a different bedroom so I don't have to turn on a light and wake my wife up. And, and so it, it's, it's dark in the morning when I first get up, and I use kind of the glow of my cell phone if I can find it. I kind of stumble my way to the bathroom, and then what, what do I do? I turn on the light, and, and I kind of look away. I, I, I kind of give my, chance to, my eyes a chance to adjust. I kind of blink. I kind of look away because... It kind of hurts your eyes, right, when you're used to being in the darkness. And the other side is, I don't look so good in the morning at 4.30. Okay? It, it, you know, so light exposes. Light illuminates. But we don't always like the light because of what it shows us about ourselves and because we're used to being in the dark. Earlier in John's Gospel, in John chapter 1, when John is writing about Jesus, he says, The light has shone in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood him, has not understood the light. And John's gospel is an invitation, an invitation for us to come into the light and to look into Jesus' face and to accept the healing that he offers. Jesus described himself as the light of the world. As we look to him, as we listen to him, he will shine upon our lives and he will expose our need for him and he'll bring healing in sight to our spiritual eyes. The question, of course, is how will we respond? Over and over, we see certain religious leaders not responding to Jesus. They can see, but they're blind. 
We see people who are outside the, 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 the boundaries of, of normal society. And, and they're blind spiritually in the beginning, but then they are willing to accept the fact that they are blind and they can see. The question for us is, how will we respond? The blind man comes to Jesus empty spiritually. He claims no special knowledge, and yet he meets Jesus, and the eyes of his head and the eyes of his heart are opened. And the religious leaders, they come to Jesus claiming to be filled with knowledge. They've got it all figured out. This is our, how God works. This is how the world works. This is how you can become righteous and so on and so forth. And yet when they meet Jesus, their eyes remain spiritually blind. So the question we have is, how will you respond to the light? Will you let God's light and truth examine and illuminate your life, your worldviews, your belief systems, your actions, your attitudes, your thoughts? Will you walk away blind? Or will you walk into the light, acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he is, worship him, and have your heart and your soul healed and see? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. And we thank you that your word... um, is a light into our path, that your word illuminates and exposes and guides and directs us so that we know who you are, truly who you are, your character, your heart, your will, your purpose. Um, And we know who who your son Jesus Christ is and his mission and purpose when he came to earth. So Lord, we pray that you would shine your light upon us today, uh, that your spirit would take your word... (laughs) And use it to open our eyes a little bit more to, to, to see you more clearly, Lord, and to, to walk in faith, um, to be open to your guidance and your, your will for us. And so, Lord, we come to you in faith, Lord Jesus, uh, humbly and offering ourselves to you, acknowledging that we, uh, that, um, we need you and that our lives uh, are radically different and better because of your presence in our lives and your salvation through Christ our Lord. Amen.